Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today we're joined by a voice from the South, Kevin Camp. Kevin lives in the neighborhood of Birmingham, Alabama, and I look forward to counting him among my new friends. He's in his later 20s on a constant journey of growth and spiritual searching. He makes music, and you can listen to a couple of songs on his MySpace page, but that's not what he'll be sharing here today. He encounters deeply with music, and I'm very happy to welcome, by phone from Birmingham, Alabama, Kevin Camp. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. Well, thank you very much. You're down near Birmingham, Alabama, and the only thing that I connect with Birmingham is the whole civil rights movement. Do you have any reverberations of that down there? There's a lot of history here, and there are some reverberations, but we try to quiet it down, and we try not to think about it. And it's a million times different. There's no Bull Connor anymore. What there is instead is a legacy that's so commonplace in so many American cities where you have the white flight suburbs, and you have the African-American-dominated inner city, and the conflict between the two. Well, Kevin, I've never met you in person, and I've only talked to you just once before. So I am really just getting to know you along with our listeners today. What's your background that led you to be willing to offer your Song of the Soul? Well, sure. I uh, was a frustrated Unitarian for eight years. Well, to back up even more, I was raised a Methodist. My parents are kind of lukewarm Christians at best, probably agnostic, went through 
bouts of church going as so many people do when they have kids and they a want the babysitting service that goes along with it and b think it would be a pretty good idea to have a moral outlet for their children to be raised properly but yeah i drifted away from traditional conservative christianity which is still a big deal down here as you might expect and became one of those heathen Unitarians and had some problems with them. But then a friend of mine who I went to grad school with uh, was talking quite positively about Quaker meeting. And so I figured, you know, give organized religion one more shot. Because I had drifted away from it, as is typical for so many people in my generation. There's such a skepticism about anything that smacks the least bit of organized religion. So, again, I tried to give it one more go. thought this would be the last opportunity, and then I was just going to set that aside and not make that a priority. And I went to Quaker meeting here in Birmingham and found it much to my liking. And a friend of mine, a friend and a friend, as we know, that has two different meanings, went to Friends General Conference and gave me one of your flyers. That's how I found out about it, and I shot you an email, and now we're talking. I'm just going to make a wild guess that because you're affiliated with UUs and then Quakers, that you probably have a non-mainline, non-doctrinaire take on history, that you're willing to investigate the more interesting, more seamy side. Uh, There's a book I read called Lies My Teacher Told Me or Mm -hmm. something like Mm -hmm. that about how history should be taught. What's your style, interests? What's the thrust of what you like doing about history? Well, to answer that question, the revisionist history that comes out is so much richer and so much seamier, as you put it, than even the stuff 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that I was first exposed to. You know, my father was in school. They were still leading people to believe that George Washington had really chopped down the cherry tree and thrown the silver dollar across the Potomac River. But you really, these days, they don't cover much of anything up, and you can see politicians and historical figures for their flaws But then there's a certain amount of revisionist critique that I think is really heavily slanted and heavily biased in favor of just gossip, and it doesn't really get down to the gist of the matter. And I love history. I love the examination of it. But there are certain sacred cows that have been slaughtered recently that I really would have preferred kind of not been on the pedestal still, but not been reduced to caricature of their former stature you know for instance i've always thought that franklin roosevelt was a great president and that you know he did a lot for the south and he was revered among my grandparents generation but they've just reduced him in certain scholarship to this sort of dictatorial figure who tried to pack the court and had a lot of whims and schemes and theories with the New Deal that didn't necessarily pan out to really help the country much at all. And I think that it's indicative of this society that you can reduce everything down to such a cynical degree that people don't have faith in much of anything anymore. We were so cynical, we're so skeptical, and particularly people of my generation, we don't hold anything sacred because we all think it's kind of a crock, to be honest with you. And if, and if you have that attitude, you just, you just kind of immobilized, you feel. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I do it. It doesn't matter about my best intentions. They're not going to work out anyway. To round it out, I think that there are good people. I think that there are great Americans, and I think that there are great figures. And if we just try to rummage around in everybody's garbage, like the National Enquirer, it doesn't say a lot for us that 
that's what we've come down to. It's good to hear that you have that personal willingness to see optimism, to see a brighter side, as well as to honestly face the rest. So that's good Mm -hmm. stuff. Let's jump into your music. What song do you want to start off with for your song in soul, Kevin? Why don't we do Please, 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 which is a Fiona Apple album. was her latest one, and I really enjoy this one for the lyrics, of course, because it talks about the quandary of the activist or the quandary of any serious musician. You know, you want something, everybody wants something that is immediate and lasting and reaches them profoundly, but good music in a lot of ways is sort of like spirituality or religious faith. You know, you uh, you don't want too much of it. You don't want too much faith. You don't want too much religion because we'll think you're a wacko. But then again, you don't want too little of it either because then you're seen as rudderless and aimless. So I think in this song she's really talking about that sort of tenuous balance you have to strike between commercial enough to be appreciated by the people that matter, but forward-thinking and different enough that you maintain that kind of edge, that kind of razor-sharp edge where you're pushing forward, you're not resting on your haunches, you're not just stagnating. In the song where Fiona sings, you know, give us something familiar, something similar to what we know already that'll keep us steady, steady, steady going nowhere. I figured she was being sarcastic, but you're putting a kind of a positive spin on that. I think she is being sarcastic. And there's such a culture of people, I mean, we call them hipsters, who are chronically cynical, professionally cynical, professionally snarky, professionally sarcastic. And I think it kind of has a dual meaning. It's it's talking both to the people, that kind of ethos where we're going to be very pure and we're, we're not going to have any kind of base commerciality. You know, we are dismissive and derisive of the masses. She's kind of saying, well, you know, you can be that way or you can not analyze it to death and just take it for what it is and not everything needs to be this huge acid test, as it were, to determine what's good and meaningful and what's just something that panders to the lowest common denominator. I think Fiona Apple does not pander to the least common denominator, and for that reason I'm happy to play for you right now. Please, 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 Fiona Apple. Please, 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 no more melodies. They lock and pack their pity.
a second song. Where should we go next on your journey of Song of the Soul? Well, how about the NS, which is by Sloan, who are an independent, very much underground, tragically so group from Canada, Halifax, Nova Scotia, as a matter of fact. They do these perfect power pop songs. They sound like, to me, the latter-day Badfinger, and they just have never really taken off here. They've always been maybe 20 years out of step, but that hasn't stopped them from uh, putting out one great album after another. They really do have really exceptional vocals, like you mentioned, Badfinger and so on. What about this song? What about the NS is what calls to you? I assume NS is Nova Scotia? Yeah, that's correct, the Nova Scotian. I've always liked the way it, it starts out, lost the fight but won the war, and no one really knows what it is we're fighting for. Just kind of taking the idea of the anthem, the song anthem, and sort of turning it upside down on its head a little bit. I also like, they have a bit of a sarcastic edge too, because the lyric goes, it says, all time will tell that everything is a lie. Again, that's kind of poking at the people in my generation who are so chronically cynical, who are so, so skeptical so fashionably skeptical. We are trying to come up with a renewed faith, but I don't think that anybody would ever say that we are radically optimistic. We're the Watergate generation. We're the generation of divorce. We're the generation of a million broken promises. And we'd never put on the rose-colored glasses for much of anything. And that is, just to, to work this back into my own spirituality, that's what's always been the challenge for me to grow any faith group, any spiritual group, or any, dare I say it, religious group, is that there's so much disbelief or an inability to believe that anything will make a difference no matter what you do, no matter how you work it, that it's tough to get people to want to be joiners because most people these days, they don't want to prescribe to much of anything. Where, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of this existential sort of, sort of thing where we're all sort of alone together in our own conception of our own individuality, but really all it is is we're uh, alone identically just like everybody else. I don't think that everybody has problems with being a joiner, but it is, at the liberal end of the scale, it's extremely common. I think, actually, on the fundamental end of the scale, 
there's a lot more ease with joining and belonging and forming a concrete, whether it's, you know, city, country, church, whatever. I tend to think it's harder on the liberal end to find strongly knit community. Does that reflect anything that you've experienced? Oh, certainly, and I probably should have qualified that I was speaking about particularly liberal spiritual groups, faith groups, because it's interesting that down here where it's very conservative and most people start out kind of Christian by default, they'll drift away out of adolescent rebellion, and it's tough to find the balance between a liberal state of mind and an irresponsible state of mind it's you know it's almost like liberal and permissiveness can oftentimes get confused with nihilism and uh, irresponsibility is probably the best way i can think of it and, and here where liberal as a word is so stigmatized it's often thought of as sort of anarchic sort of thought of as this philosophy based on no rigid parameters whatsoever and, you know, the, the typical country's going to hell in a handbasket because there are no strict rules and regulations and laws. And, and that, maybe, this, maybe that's a phenomenon that's only common in places where the default is very conservative, like the South or the Dakotas or Utah, places like that. Before we lose the thread of it, I want to make sure we play the song. It's by Sloan. It's the NS Canadian group Sloan bringing us some fine music for Kevin Camp's Song of the Soul.
actually, you know, Kevin, I haven't ever heard of them before. I haven't run into their music before, and I guess it's just unfortunate for me and a lot of the rest of the U.S. I wanted to check something about, I think you kind of alluded to this as part of your spiritual journey. Raised somewhat Methodist, you had an extended period where you identified with the Unitarian Universalists. Mm -hmm. And I think you must have started that when you were a teen. You certainly should have been still in high school then. Quaker since this past year. Mm -hmm. What are the emotional currents for you that made that appropriate, those moves? Well, I've never believed that faith was static. I've always believed that a spiritual journey is a process. It's not a destination. I don't know where I'll be in a few years, but I was very pious, believe it or not, when I was a little kid, and then I think I developed that sort of adolescent doubt, had a lot of things demystified, and so I sort of had this peripatetic kind of wandering existence, and then showed up at a Unitarian church when I was 17. I was the only person my age there who really took things seriously. Most of the UU youth were there because they'd grown up in the faith, but you know, I was the only one after high school to stick around. I was the only person in my 20s. I wish I could be more exact about my reasons for ending up and taking the paths and directions that I did. It just sort of, I felt that it was a God-given kind of, or rather God-created guidance, sort of providential in a way. But I, I can't really analyze it. I don't have anything that jumps out at me that tells me specifically why the path I'm at seems most fit. I mean, Quakerism, Quakerism was a kind of my last-ditch effort. I had been so disillusioned by spirituality and the seeming death of it, the seeming slow, inevitable, sad decline that I felt as though, you know, I had sort of beat my head against a wall for years without accomplishing much of anything except for that echo chamber of the people who always attend a spiritual gathering. In other words, we weren't growing. We were staying pretty static, and I felt like I was either talking to a very small, limited group of people or I was just talking to myself. But I didn't feel as though I had any real voice in the larger community. So when I found Quakerism, yeah, it felt like a fit, but it felt like this was a place that I could make a difference. This was a place that I felt I could expand the message, spread the message in a non-proselytizing way. And where I, where I was needed, and there weren't so many institutional pitfalls, my purpose, I don't think, is to be the rejuvenator of liberal spirituality, but I do think that there are a lot of people who are seeking, who are spiritual seekers, who need and desire some form of communion with each other in these day and age where we're all so fragmented. Sounds like an exciting process you're doing internally and probably into the world. That sounds mm -hmm. like good stuff to me. But let's keep leading the rest of the people along with us musically. What's number three on your list? Let's do At the Zoo because I've always liked the song because it kind of pokes fun at humanity in all of the ways that we try to be so serious to take ourselves a little bit too seriously. And I kind of like the way that Paul Simon has taken some good-natured jabs at us by reducing us down to a little more than zoo animals. Is this a part of your 
current worldview, or is this part of the cynical valley you've traveled through to get to where you are now? Probably more my past, but it's a good reminder. I'm sure there's songs that pop into the heads of listeners and maybe even you that remind you of where you were. And it's sometimes good to visit where you were, if only to gauge where you've come from. But yeah, this reminds me of, of being very skeptical as a teenager and being, you know, rebellious to a fault. You're in your late 20s, right? And I'm 54, so for me, you know, I was high school or middle school, actually, when this song came out. How did you get exposed to it? How do you get exposed to music that's, you know, a few decades uh, in the past? I, I don't think it happened for me growing up. It's very common for people in this generation to like 60s and 70s rock. I dare say it may be because we've done such a poor job of putting together our own new sound. Everybody had the Beatles, everybody had the Stones and Pink Floyd, and the stuff that this generation put together just sort of paled in comparison. It wasn't nearly as expansive. So, And that's, that's something a lot of times that baby boomers don't recognize is how how much that classic rock sound has washed over and influenced us in this generation. And just to, to go back and be very literal with this answer, my mother had the LP. Uh, she had the bookends LP. And so as a kid, you know, I put it on. Let's listen to At the Zoo, Simon and Garfunkel, a song written by Paul Simon. For today's Song of the Soul, Kevin Camp is our guest. Someone told me it's all happening at the zoo I do believe it I do believe it's true Light and tumble journey from the east side to the park Just a fine and fancy ramble to the zoo But you can take a cross-town bus if it's raining or it's cold And the animals will love it if you do It's all happening at the zoo I do believe it I do believe it's true
That was at the zoo, Simon and Garfunkel. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, your host for Song of the Soul, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can always check out this and other recordings at my site, northernspiritradio.org. You also find links and information about who's making the music and my guests. A lot of good stuff there. And please do visit and leave your comments. We'd like to get to know you, our listeners. So tell us where you're from and why the programs interest you and what we can do to make them better. So visit northernspiritradio.org. But now we're going to go back to our guest, Kevin Camp. Kevin, down near Birmingham, Alabama. So, Kevin, last song, At the Zoo, what animal are you? I guess I never wanted to be an animal at all. I guess that was the thing about it. I was eager to laugh at everybody else's misfortune, but like the hypocrite that we all can be, I didn't really want to have to think of myself in the same terms. I would kind of like to be a genuine article. I've said I've never wanted to be uh, just like anybody else, but I have wanted to be completely me. That's a noble aspiration. Well, the noble aspiration that is Kevin Camp, where do we want to go with his next song for Song of the Soul? Well, let's see here. Why don't we do No Surprises? Sounds boring. No Surprises. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about Radiohead, No Surprises, why this song? As I recall, it was written by Tom York, and Tom York, of course, is the brains behind Radiohead. It's about a guy whose uh, girlfriend was cheating on him. And, And yeah, I mean, a lot of this album is very bleak. But again, that's a very common motif in Gen X world, how fashionable it is to decry how um, totally worthless everything is. And, I, and why, did I, why did I pick it? Because again, you know, to go, to go back to what we were talking about before, it reminds me of Teenage Rebellion. It reminds me of when it seemed like my goal in life was to strip off the veneer, reduce everything down to its basest nature as I mean, I, I love the harmonies. I love the harmonies, and I love the structure, and I love the glockenspiel. But again, it reminds me of where I came from, not so much where I'm headed. Where is God or spirit or, you know, that transcendent meeting with respect to this song? I'm not hung up on the fact that everybody has to express things with traditional words, but what does this song tell us about spirit god or life of the spirit or any of that this song reminds me of a journey that a lot of people apparently my own age have to go through they have to go through this radical skepticism before they find meaning before they they get to mysticism before they're willing to entertain the fact that there may be something out there worth believing in it really is a sad thing that kind Mm -hmm. of emptiness and so many people are fleeing from the place where that plea could be answered. So Mm -hmm. let's listen to the plea. It's the song No Surprises by Radiohead. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
was No Surprises, Radiohead, for Kevin Camp's Song of the Soul. Kevin, you know, we've had a couple bleak songs here, songs about the emptiness, songs about cynicism and so on. Some people turn that corner from emptiness to that with a kind of a born-again experience. I don't suppose you've ever had a spiritual awakening, a spiritual jarring where you felt turned around like that? Oh, I have, and I've, I've come to that very recently. As a matter of fact, that's been one of the virtues of Quakerism, is that I really have come to believe again. But again, particularly in liberal circles, one has to be so careful not to be painted as a zealot. You know, if you say you're religious, particularly in this region of the country, people automatically assume that you are, you know, you're from the religious right, you have a very dogmatic conception of faith, uh, you're out to convert souls, and that's sort of a tenuous tightrope that I have walked before, and, and I'm trying to be okay with I mean, I've been more open these days about the fact that I do consider myself to be spiritual, do consider myself to be a person of faith, and trying to be okay with the fact that some people are going to misunderstand. Some people will get it, and some people who are still lost will not. So that is something that I would like to expand to more people, not just of my own age group. I've focused a lot about people in my own age group, but to everybody, the ability to believe again, the ability to break out of your cloistered existence, break out of your skepticism, break out of your all of the reasons why it won't work, and embrace that which will work. Well, it does sound to me a kind of a sweetness added to your life. I mean, to go from cynicism, which is kind of a emptiness that it feels more like, what can we do to medicate this, as opposed to a sweetness like, here's something I can enjoy and hold my hand and I can be happy with. Am I correctly speaking your experience? You are, and in cynicism, I would add, is almost the new religion these days. Sad to believe. It's so chronically empty to me. You know, I mean, it... I uh, I grew up in a family where my father was, he, he had kind of been the anti-hippie. He wasn't a, a square and he wasn't a straight, but he certainly was, he kind of reminds me of Frank Zappa, the way that Zappa would always be just sort of snidely dismissive of all of these people running around and Haight-Ashbury calling themselves China Cat Sunflower and not really having any real conception of what they were doing except for the fact they were wrong for the the free drugs and, and the sex. While Zappa was so original in those days for daring to be so skeptical and so cynical and kind of a crank, it's interesting because Zappa's viewpoint has kind of become the mainstream. It's sad and... It's got its own richness and texture, but maybe as a step in learning as opposed to a final point. I guess that's the way I could possibly see it. Sure. Where should your music take us next? Well, there's Broken Arrow, which is, you know, though it is Buffalo Springfield, it's clearly a Neil Young composition. And it's stately and grand. It's kind of its own little mini-suite in a way. It talks about the rise of JFK and... You know, the American teenager growing up, but there's always a sense of melancholia in Neil Young. There's always a sense of seeking. There's always a sense of searching. You know, Broken Arrow in Native American lore was not a way to cease fighting. It was, it was sort of a ceasefire. And I've always thought of this song metaphorically as stop fighting yourself. Stop trying to swim upstream. Stop 
contextualizing all the things you can't do, start thinking about those which you can do. That's my challenge to anyone who would care to listen to it or would care to take it on, is to focus on what you can do because it's so trendy to focus on what you can't. I think it's time to start to believe again and explore the light because I think we've explored the dark more than it may have ever been meant to be explored. The song is Broken Arrow, performed by Buffalo Springfield. Wow. 
song for your song of the soul but first i wanted to mention you make some music yourself too don't you i do make music and it is an integral part in my life music to me is a deeply spiritual experience and i think that if most people would be honest with themselves it has a kind of power to them as well but music these days is the great pacifier it's soothing it's almost kind of medicinally soothing I remember reading about something that Sylvia Plath said one time where they were asking about her, about writing, and in particular, what it was like to write. And she said that, to paraphrase here, she much preferred the actual task of writing than to be finished with it and have your arms folded and contemplate what had happened before. The process of creating, to me, in music or any kind of art or writing or anything that comes from one's soul and is creative, the process, to me, is more thrilling than the end result. And I think a lot of people have it backwards. I think Plath said, if you write something, you, you go from a poet to a poet in rest, which is not the same thing at all. And, in, of course, in that respect, I agree with her 100%. Well, you do have some of the music that you recorded, and so this would be the poet at rest, I guess, out there on the Internet. Do you want people to be able to find you? I do, and I don't. Music and any art these days has become such a commodity. In a roundabout way, I'm talking about selling out 
and that is a, a choice that every artist has, whether or not to sell out. And I would rather be appreciated by the people who would be able to understand it properly. I've never wanted to be misunderstood, not in my art, not in my spirituality. And when you become a commodity and when you become a big name, you're bound to be misunderstood. That having been said, you do have some of your music out there on the web. Do you want to tell people, if they want to explore and get to know you, where they would look? Well, like a lot of struggling musicians, or at best, no-name musicians, I have a MySpace music page, and it is at www.myspace.com slash cabaretic, which is my uh, chosen nickname, uh, C-A-B-A-R-E-T-I-C. And if they wish, they can look at cover songs I've done. I don't really place a lot of stock in my originals, but I do appreciate the work that inspires me and from which I derive a kind of spiritual presence. So I record covers in the same way that people go into art museums and perfect their craft by copying the best works. That's kind of how I envision my role as a musician these days. If you didn't get cabaretic and you don't know how to spell that, you can always come to my site. I'm pretty sure you can spell northernspiritradio.org. And so I'll have a link here to Kevin Camp's MySpace page. And while you're there on my page, please leave a comment and help us get to know you. That's part of what I'd like to have as a two-way exchange. I think we've got one song left to go here, Kevin. What is it and why is it? Portishead. That album came out when I was a freshman in high school. Trip-hop, very seductive female vocalist. The song is It Could Be Sweet. And though we've talked about the, the way that things won't work out, the pessimism, the despair, here is the faintest hope that things will work out. And it could be sweet. We're all in desperate need these days to really have something we can sink our teeth into, but something that won't betray us in the end. People will try to put stock in people, and people, of course, can let you down, or put faith in politicians, and politicians can certainly let you down. I would just like to present this song as it is because it's static and it's not going to change, and, and it's the same way that people will use the Northern Star as a way of judging where they are and finding where they need to be. That's what I hope this song will be for people. Be a constant beacon of optimism and sweetness, as you put it, that will never change and will always be there.
That was Kevin Camp from Birmingham, Alabama. Again, you can hear him sing a few of his tunes on his MySpace page. That's myspace.com slash cabaretic. Or just check the link on my northernspiritradio.org site and drop us a comment while you're there. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy. Sing out a song of the soul.